Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%, or should I say good morning to you, Marilyn? Yeah, good morning. <laughs> um, it is afternoon for me, but uh, it is good to see you bright and early this morning. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for getting together. It's uh, it's always fun to get together and chat about training and coaching, and we always have a little bit of a hash out even before we record, so fun stuff. Um, and we got halfway through our run discussion last time and I had to stop us because we were like at an hour and, you know, I know it's hard to listen to us talk that long. So we're going to continue that run talk. But uh, before we do, I'm curious to hear how your triathlon training is going. Remember when we did the podcast on panic training? <laughs> One of my favorite topics, of course. Uh, yeah, panic training. Well, here's the thing, you know, I'm, we're live a lifestyle where we're always pretty fit. And so that's, that's good. So you got something to roll off of, but specific triathlon training has gotten more and more panic-like as the race gets closer. And I actually, I was like, God, I got to run off the bike every Saturday after the shootout, run off the bike round, run off the bike. And I come in and I'm like, Nope, I don't do it. Just, <laughs> just tears. I would be a terrible athlete to coach. Um, what does it do what your doctor says or what you're told? Not, <laughs> not what you do anyway. So I finally ran off the bike yesterday and I was like, God dang, this is, <laughs> I remember how hard this is. And it was, I did a session where I rode from milepost zero to the crosswalk, which is just past Molino basins, basically 30 minutes of hard climbing. So 30 minutes of threshold, roll back down and then chucked on my runners and ran, um, I think it was just right around five miles or something like that off the bike. And, uh, yep. Remember what that feels like <laughs> might do a couple more of those before, before the race, I got a couple more weeks. So somehow that will, that muscle memory will kick in. If anything, I'll just remember how hard it is. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> And you did a marathon. We we took bets. We took well, not <laughs> me, not bets. We had a who could guess the closest competition to your marathon. Um, yes, I did a marathon, um, and you know, unfortunately, you got the closest. Oh, which, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> no awards for me. Um, congratulations, though. Good, good guessing. And I actually think you would have been spot on. Um, you were like, you said 239 and change somewhere. I forget the exact change, but I, um, I started pretty far back in my corral because I had no idea what was going on. And, and it turns out like when you're trying to find your place and there's literally 50,000 runners, it gets, it gets a little, little iffy. Um, and so I, I got in my corral. Of course I got my corral late because that's how I roll. And I was trying to find the front of the corral and, um, when it's full of 5,000 people, it gets a little tricky where the actual front of that is. <laughs> so, so I started pretty far back and I literally spent the entire marathon passing people. That's like, fun though. Just, it, was, it was kind of fun. I was, I was hoping to kind of get in a group and stay with and kind of like roll through with a few guys that were going about the same pace, having the same goal. But, um, but yeah, I passed thousands of people the entire race. Like I, I, yeah, I spent 25 miles passing people. And then in the last mile, there was like two guys that came out of nowhere and just like kicked it in and passed me. But, you know, I think, you know, I, I maybe passed like, yeah, like, like, where have you been the, the last two and a half hours? But all of a sudden there was two guys there. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I must've, I don't know how many people I passed like 5,000, 10,000. I don't know. Just like literally that spent the entire race passing people. Um, which was cool. It was fun. Um, but it did mean that, you know, we were running on really wide streets and I often got forced kind of way to the outside. And I think I ended up running like 26.4 miles in the end. I know GPS is always a little iffy. It's never exactly on, but I, I definitely did not run the tangents on the race course and was, uh, was pretty wide on, on a lot of it. Nice. Um, you probably would have been closer so, to uh, 38 then had you got the tangents. <laughs> um, maybe. Yeah. And it, but, but I was like 240, like, and like four or five seconds. I was just a little over 240. Um, but one of the things I'm actually proud of is that I negative split it, which 
Um, I don't know if you know anything about my racing tactics, but usually uh, that is not, again, something I am the best at. So I, I actually had a pretty smart, well-executed race. And, uh, and yeah, that was good for me. Hey, one thing I'm actually really curious about too is, and I'm sure everyone who listened to the last episode is you talked about that you did more just uphill running versus speed work. And, you know, we had talked about for you specifically with the amount of mileage you've done and the time that you've been in the sport and your turnover and how efficient you are. And you're actually, you know, really fast with turnover that like, what did you notice? Did you note it? Like, was there any correlation between, and, and we like had a really specific conversation about that at, in the last podcast was that, and I said, you know, that would be what would make sense early season for you to actually improve your run would be uphill running. Um, so it is hard because I don't have a ton of data points as far as like doing an open marathon early season, you know, throughout my career and to say, Hey, but I did, I, I felt strong and I felt, I felt pretty good. Um, I'd say one thing that was different is that, you know, when I was doing a lot of uphill running, my heart rate was pretty low. When I was running a little bit faster, my heart rate was a little bit higher. And that was something that I probably should have done a little more of <laughs> in order to, to keep my heart rate high for two and a half hours. I should have practiced that a little bit more. Um, Cause by the end I was like, Oh, this is starting to wear on me a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I did, I felt strong. I felt pretty good. And I do feel like it, it aided me in, um, staying strong throughout the entire race, you know, still like, you know, hips got a little bit weak and definitely felt a little bit, those things that happen in a marathon, but it wasn't the, uh, the, the muscular fall apart that I kind of feel happening. And maybe the other times I've done open marathons where you're just like struggling to keep it together. I felt pretty together. And, and like I said, I, I did negative split it. I think my second half marathon was like a minute faster than my first. Um, so it was like pretty substantial. And I think that was definitely aided by, you know, being a little bit stronger and yeah, having just a little more, more power in my stride. So I think it, it worked pretty well. That's super cool. I know that when I was uh, racing full time, I couldn't actually do a ton of speed work because I was so injury prone. And so one of the things I would do when I was living in Boulder, Colorado is I would actually do um, like long uphill running where I just ran, you know, Sunshine Canyon. Anyone who's familiar with Colorado and Boulder, I'd run up Sunshine Canyon and do like they call it the poor man's loop. It was about a two and a half hour run and you run uphill for more than half of it. And then basically the rest of it is downhill and just a very small section at the end that is flat. So that kind of long uphill running, it really does translate well to marathons, I think. Um, awesome. Would you, would you do any like work on the uphill or just kind of run it like steady hard or? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there was times where you did a specific hill rep workouts that were, you know, broken up, but for that type of run, no, I mean, just, just running uphill that long when you're running uphill for over an hour, it, that's, that's a, that's a long time to run uphill, you know? So, and I know that even in Switzerland, the time that I spent there, there are several athletes that were in the group that I was in where they would run, you know, there was one hill that was from the base, um, base town. And we were up in the, the, the ski village town called Lesin, L-E-Y-S-I-N. And you ran, we ran up that, up that climb to get home. And so, yeah, that long, I think when you're doing that, there isn't necessarily intervals involved. You're just running uphill for an hour to 90 minutes. That's, that's hard work at the end. Yeah, totally. Um, we actually just took a trip and did a similar thing where we took a train, we were staying kind of up high on a mountain took a train down to the bottom and then just ran back up. So we, we didn't have to do like the impact of the downhill and got the work of being able to run up the hill. And, uh, and I agree, it is a good way to, um, to get in a lot of work and to, you can definitely get in some higher intensity work and you are kind of less injury. It's less risk of injury, you know, barring if you have like some sort of like, calf issue or something, then the uphill running might be tough, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely a good way to get in work and, and not have as much, uh, much impact on your legs. Who is, who's the second closest guesser like out of, okay, take me out of the equation. 
I, uh, uh, my wife, Amy had the next guess. Nice. Um, and, and yeah, she was, she was a little bit over, you were a little bit under, she didn't have as much confidence in me as you did. So thank you for that. <laughs> right. uh, just more, just maybe more experience on the coaching side of things. That's all. She's got <laughs> personal insight and I've got the more uh, experience on the coaching side. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you guys, you guys kind of ran away with this. Um, nice. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Cool. So will you transition now into more speed work? Our conversation today is around speed work and, you know, we wanted to take what we were talking about before on the, you know, the long run and, and I had one listener reach out and say, you know, it's a good opportunity as we talk about this run stuff too, to talk about fueling these types of runs, you know, so we can tell, we want to talk about transitioning into speed work a little bit. We can incorporate, you know, with these, how would you fuel them? Would you fuel them differently? You know, is there fuel involved at all in the speed work um, workouts? Like, would you even take, you know, gels, chews, sports drink, when you're doing speed work, how do we break it down? We had some questions from listeners. You had some good thoughts and stuff. So let's dive into that. Um, yeah, and I, we did have some good questions and we definitely have some, some run intensity things I want to get to, and I don't want to make this all about my marathon, but I, I will kind of use that as a springboard to talk about. So my, like I said, my, my second half marathon was a minute faster. It was like a one nineteen mid. And, and for me, I, I feel like that's actually pretty good. Like I might, it makes me feel like my running is pretty close to where I need it to be. Like if I can run, um, you know, in the teens off the bike, then in a 70.3, then that's, I'm, I'm kind of hitting, getting pretty close to my, my max capacity there. Like, you know, I have, a, I ran a 115 at one point off the bike, but I'm pretty sure the course was short. So we'll call that more of a 117. And so if I can hover in that range, that's kind of where that's a good place for me to be in, in a 70.3. And it sets me up well for an Ironman where, you know, if I can run around a 250, that means I'm in a good spot. Um, so I actually feel like from the uphill running, the marathon was a good indicator that, that my run is in a pretty good spot. And I will do a little more specific work. I'll do a little bit more sustained work and like a little bit, a little bit of turnover stuff, but nothing crazy. And, and I think one of the things I do want to talk about is, is, yeah, I don't, maybe we don't need as much of that, especially like an athlete as deep in their career as I am is like, maybe if I do three or four freshening up workouts between now, and I'm looking at like a 70.3 coming up, like that might actually be enough to, to be in a good spot. Like, you know, maybe not to have my fastest run ever, but to have a really solid run. And if I couple that with a little bit more work on the bike, that might be a safer way, you know, cause I am a little bit older, a safer way to get in a little bit more of that high intensity and could set myself up better because if I get to the run fresher, then I'm able to express that, you know, 117, um, and, and just be in a better place with three or four hard run workouts or hardish run workouts, as opposed to maybe like eight, which maybe I would have done, you know, 15 years ago, um, which is hard to say, but you know, probably true. Um, and I do want to talk about a little bit of my marathon fueling because I didn't have a strategy. I just threw a bunch of gels in my pocket and I was like, this will probably work. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it was race morning and Amy was like, so what's your plan with that? I know you have like five gels in your pocket. What, how are you going to do it? And I was like, okay. So we kind of ran through a little bit of a plan and, um, and so I, you know, I did actually execute a pretty decent, like I, you know, I took five gels over the course of the run and, was and it like for like me, every, every, did you, did you go like every three miles, I'm going to have a gel or is it a, like every 20 minutes or what was the, um, it was like every 30 minutes I, I, I opened a gel and I quickly like had, I had forgotten I, I just grabbed the first gel and I slammed it and then grabbed some water. And I was like, Ooh that was a bad idea. I forgot how hard it is to just do a gel when you're running pretty hard. And so that was something I would have practiced. I recommend people do. <laughs> Turns out you should practice that. Um, and, and so I had like my stomach kind of revolted. I was fine, but just like took a few minutes to kind of get like feeling good again. And then after the rest of the time, I kind of 
opened the gels every 30 minutes and then would take take you know a mile to two miles to kind of like slowly consume the gel and and made sure I did that where I could grab water like at some point in during the gel and um and and so yeah that kind of got me through it was it was like in, in between 25 and 30 minutes kind of based on the aid stations and, and how everything was spaced and they were mostly I, I took a a caffeinated gel towards the end, but that was the only caffeine I had. That's what I always try and recommend to people like whether, you know, obviously long races and long, long runs, you've got to fuel them and you've got to start pretty early in and then be just on a, it's kind of like a consistent, steady stream, a slow drip, right? Because the harder you're going, like you're saying, your heart rate's high, you're working really hard. You're not going to be able to pound, you know, that overload, it's like, okay, I'm going to pound a whole gel, or I'm going to try and chew something that is solid. And even something solid is likely going to sit in your gut like a rock. So it's, you know, any, any race that is over an hour long, and you're going hard, you have to have a plan where you have this, whether it's like grabbing a little bit of uh, sports drink, or you're, you know, you've, you're carrying one that you spray a little bit of sugar every 10 minutes or something like that. Even I've used, I've told people on the back half of these longer races where their body's not accepting it anymore to use, you know, just put a Jolly Rancher in their mouth or glucose tablets, those kinds of things. And that just keeps that steady stream of sugar while you're at a high intensity and, and being able to, to keep the energy up. Some people like to grab Coke on the back half, that kind of thing. But really those, because you get asked that question all the time. It's like, do I do a calorie bomb when, you know, and then like in bottles or do I take a whole bunch at once? I always think, no, nah, you're better off to, instead of stop at the aid station and bomb your gut, you're better off just to have that steady, that steady stream of sugar the whole time, especially the harder you're going. Yeah. I, so I actually do talk to athletes about this, even though I didn't have a plan myself. And mm-hmm. one of the things I like to think about is like, listen, if you are going to be your dentist's worst nightmare, what are you going to do? And it's like, always have sugar in your mouth. You know, that's like exactly what they tell you not to do. But for racing, I, it seems to be the best play to always keep it, keep it going in pretty slowly. And, and you're right. Like I, I just didn't think about it. I had that immediate kind of like hundred, hundred, calories in my gut and my gut was like whoa it's a lot at once uh <laughs> and so i learned my lesson mid-race that i probably should know at this point in my career but you know you forget these things nice um, would you say too like you talked about with the speed work there you know only doing you know with it, only doing a small amount of them three or four versus eight and like every athlete is different and based on their history and you know, their strengths and weaknesses on how and how they respond to training and um, how many sessions and how much work you do with speed work. We had talked about the last podcast, how you have really good efficiency, you have really high turnover. And so, you know, you're talking more about like your response to the, and your, and your history is deep, right? You've got a lot of miles, you've been racing a long time. So your response to high end. And when we talk about speed work, are we talking about threshold work? Are we talking about VO2? Like, what are we talking about and how many of them, how much time in them? That's, you know, every athlete, those things come into play, right? What's their history? What's their strength? What's their efficiency? How do they actually respond to the training? Like you got a a big athlete who has real slow turnover and they're a slow responder to that type of work, maybe the number of sessions is different or the type of session is different. Like let's, let's dive into that just a little bit. Um, yeah, so that is, it is going to be really, uh, really different based on the type of athlete, because if you are like, if you're like, I, you know, I'm not a very big, strong guy. That's just, I, however much I try and change that, that's just not who I am. And, uh, and like I, my 5k time is like, 1630 or something, which might be like, that's, that's abysmal, but I have a pretty low VO two, And that's just kind of like where I live. And, and so I don't gain a ton by going to the track and, and ripping fast quarters. Like I can, I can go and I can run, you know, sub five minute pace for, for a few quarters and I can make that happen. But like, as far as what that does to how fast I race in my next race, it doesn't have a, a big impact. Um, whereas someone else who might be built differently, 
and might have diff a different set of strengths. They might not have like maybe they're not quite as efficient. Their turnover is a little slower. They might need to do that in order to like get that efficiency and that will carry over to them. But but for me, and, and I've seen a lot of benefit um, for longer distance athletes with a little bit more like threshold work and then a little bit more tempo work uh, in order to kind of like have that endurance to, to maintain the pace. And that's, yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm going to incorporate. And that's what I, I see beneficial for a lot of people and, or, or even like no speed work. I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people that interject speed work that maybe they just need to get their run volume a little higher and do a little bit more like efficiency training in there. And then you're at a place where you tap that out and then you can start adding in speed work. But I think that, you know, it, it just really depends on your goals and where you're at in the sport. That might be for someone who's a little newer to the sport and they're, they're, they're planning on like, Hey, I want to like get through this race comfortably um, versus someone who's like trying to kind of hit their like max potential in a, in a race. And I think it's too, there's a little bit of confusion of like what speed work necessarily is. So, and, and where I'm going with this is there's a really big difference between turnover work. So let's say we talked about this, where you've got a session where you do, you know, 15 seconds on 20 seconds off, 20 seconds on 40 seconds off, you know, you're, you're, you're interjecting these fast turnovers for short bursts within say an hour run or for 20 minutes, that isn't, someone might get confused and say, well, I do a lot of speed work. And that's, that's actually in my mind, not speed work, it's turnover and just the ability to learn how to move your, how, gain the coordination and teach your body how to move quickly and change through the paces, not necessarily speed work where we're doing, you know, four to 400, 600s, 800s on the track, those kinds of things. That's much more geared at, at, you know, 3k pace or 5k pace. And you're, you know, you're actually doing speed work for somewhere between a total cumulative of maybe eight minutes worth of work, right? That's different than say, we're going to do an hour's worth. We're going to do an hour run. And in the middle of that hour run, we're going to do 20 minutes where we go, you know, 40 seconds fast, 20 seconds off that's turnover work. Or, you know, there's the classic Monteghetti set where it's an hour's worth of work and you're, you know, 15 seconds, 10 seconds. And then they're just quick turnovers where you're teaching your body, the coordination to move quickly. Those don't actually ever tap into VO2 or really um, have sort of that same training or that, that same impact on your body as far as recovery, but it has a very important step in terms of teaching someone to run quickly you know, learn how to move faster. So I, I'll incorporate a lot. Most, mostly it's like tempo work and, and hill work and then turnover work. Someone be, Oh, I do speed work every week. It's like, well, that's not actually speed work yet. It's the foundation for learning to run faster to eventually be able to do speed work. If that is necessary and applicable to that athlete and the races that they're doing. I don't know if you have a different view on that. Uh, no, I have the exact same view. I give, I would say 98% of my athletes, I, I call them strides, but you, like, there's a lot of words for it. Right. And I, I give strides like once a week to most people and you know, that how it's sliced is it can be different based on the athlete, based on where they're at. But yeah, it's just that you're interjecting like a little bit of, of speed, but that speed isn't, isn't ever long enough that, yeah, you're achieving any sort of other, like you're not helping their 5k pace or their 10k pace, or, or you're not getting a bunch of muscular breakdown, but you're teaching them how to run efficiently, probably increase that turnover. You know, maybe they have a few cues that they're thinking of, like getting, keeping their hips underneath their body, whatever it is that, that they're working on in, in order to become a more efficient runner. And, um, and yeah, you incorporate those in the, in the run. And then hopefully either they feel better by the end, or if it's like kind of in the middle, maybe they're like running naturally, just a little bit better by in the middle of that run. However it is that they, yeah, you're just teaching them hopefully to be a little bit more efficient and, and like, you know, to get that turnover up, if that's what they need to work on. If it's like someone like me, maybe they're working on like how, how they're like, like knee drive or something, but yeah, they're, they're improving their form through a little bit of speed work or strides or, or whatever it is. And I, I've, uh, I've incorporated this a lot of different ways, whether it's like 10 by 30 seconds, or I like the first minute of every mile, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can slice it. There's a lot of classic sets out there too, but 
but I think that, you know, that, like you said, is, is turnover work or just form work that is really good to kind to keep staying in touch with. And even when I wasn't doing workouts, like I was saying before, that is one of the things I would just, even if it's like, Hey, I'm going to do like five by five seconds at the end of my run is something like that. I think is really important for everyone to do. And, but I do think you're right. Like you, you can't say, Hey, I'm doing VO two work because I'm running kind of fast because it's just not, not long enough or not like not enough together to, to actually tap into any sort of like, if you look at your heart rate, you're not going to like hit VO two in, you know, a 15 or 20 second stride. Yeah. And also another place people might get confused is if, you know, say just because they're on the track, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily speed work, right? Like I will prescribe a session for some specific athletes where it's like, we're going to do 2400s and someone, holy crap, that's a lot of 400s. Well, we're not doing those at 5k pace or effort, right? You're doing those more at a range that is a cumulative amount of work on a measured surface at a specific pace that is likely hitting threshold somewhere in the middle, or even like you start out as it'll feel a little bit more like tempo, and then it will be threshold in the end. And you're doing a cumulative amount of work at that specific pace on a measured flat surface, but it's not necessarily, we're not doing, you know, that's a very different session than eight, four hundreds at VO2, like very, very different. It's, it's a much slower, it's a much different workout. So someone would be like, oh, I go to the track and do all, you know, this huge amount of work or, you know, I do 12, eight hundreds. Well, you're not going to do those at VO2. That's just, it's a different session. So just because you're on the track doesn't necessarily mean that you're right away doing speed work. You might be doing specific pace work or working a specific energy system for a total number of minutes, but we're not necessarily doing speed work. It's, it's a, it's a very measured flat surface to hit a target. Yeah. Not, not everywhere is kind of blessed with something like the the river pass in Tucson, where you can just kind of go and run in a straight line on a flat road, not worrying about cars or anything and, and be able to execute a session. Like sometimes you need to go to the track to execute a session. And that doesn't mean that, um, that you're doing. And it sounds like uh, when you're saying speed work, you're kind of thinking of that like VO2 and or 5K kind of like effort, right? That's that's what you um and I'm correct me if I'm wrong because I'm putting words in your mouth here, but that's kind of when you think of speed work, that's kind of the zone in which you're talking about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, somewhere between threshold and and you know, yes, true speed work, I would say is in that three to five K type running where you're running fast for over over a minute or or up to, you know, three minutes long, basically that's, that's like, that's true speed work on a, on a lot of rest. So it's over 90 seconds, over a minute, over 90 seconds, up to about three, three to four minutes repeats where you're going into VO2. I think over four minutes, that's getting pretty damn long (laughs) going that hard. So it's like that 90, but under 90 seconds, you might not quite get there. So it's like over 90 seconds up to three minutes. Maybe you're doing, you know, somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes worth of that work. And there's a lot of rest. I think that is a true speed type session. And, and I honestly, I don't have too many athletes that I do a lot of that with. I don't think it's necessarily, it's not, it's not, um, super specific for most people's events in, in triathlon and for where they're at in their development as athletes. So it's like, is this actually some, you know, might be like, okay, this athlete needs a block of speed work to get faster, but the risk how, how specific it is for triathlon. And then, um, what the risk is in those workouts and the sort of like, where are they going to get injured? Are they going to, is it going to take too much out of them? Those kinds of things. That's, you know, you got to really be careful with that. So I don't actually prescribe those too often. And that's like, those are real specific workouts, different than turnover, different than threshold work, different than tempo running where the cumulative work is all, you know, completely different and the impact is different and the speed of everything. How about you? Um, I'm doing a lot of talking. Well, that, <laughs> no, that, was, that was really, 
that was good. That was a really, I feel like you did a really good job kind of defining speed work and, um, or, and yeah, kind of what it means to you and, and how often you apply it. And I, I kind of want to stick on that theme and talk about, so one of the things that we got a lot of questions on, on this topic is how do you prescribe workouts? And another one was like kind of how much of that workout. And so we kind of, you kind of nailed down speed workout a little bit, but one of the questions was when you're prescribing workouts, do you do it via RPE? Do you do it by pace? Do you do it by running power? Do you do it by heart rate? Um, so I guess just to stick with that speed work example, do you, how do you prescribe your speed work for athletes? And I know you don't give it that much, but if you are going to give them say, you know, a little bit of that actual fast stuff, how do you prescribe it to them? You know, heart rate is probably the the least indicator there until you get halfway through the session and towards the end of the reps, because it, it takes so long for heart rate to respond. So that would be one that you want, you would look at as the repeats go on and as the session goes on and later in the reps, pace is going to be something that is affected by, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and as coaches, it's going to be affected a lot by fatigue going in. So ideally, you know how tired the athlete is if you're prescribing pace and conditions, you know, is it hot? Is it, you know, conditions, terrain, all of these things. So ideally, if you give speed work, or if I give speed work, I think it needs to be in on a controlled flat and flat environment. So if you don't have that, it needs to be, maybe it will be on a treadmill just because that's what's available, right? Or ideally like a nice flat stretch of road, or if you don't have that, maybe you have access to a track, but you can certainly measure it out and go onto, you know, here's a stretch of road that is about three minutes long or two minutes or, you know, ideally three minutes, somewhere in that range, 90 seconds to three minutes long. And you use that nice flat stretch of road and you know, and you, you know, I'm going to hold this pace because heart rate is going to be, like I say, it's going to take time to come up. So someone could the first two reps, if they're 90 second reps, blast them out and then realize, oh, wow, you know, I've got, I have got six more of these and I can't hold that pace. So I think like in all cases, you're cross-referencing all of those things, but for speed work, you want to set your environment ideally, right? If it's hot, make sure you have ice and, you know, all the things to keep yourself cool and maybe adjust a little bit accordingly, but a flat piece of road or a treadmill or a track, and it's very predictable. And you look at it and go, okay, these are based on my fitness and fatigue. These are the paces ideally to work speed work. I need to be hitting. So to answer the question specifically, I would say pace would be the, the most accurate when it comes to speed work. How about you? So I agree. I, I try and give a, a pace range um, to kind of yeah. try and account for some of those, like, oh, it's a little hotter or whatever. Um, and I, I do, I try and lean into and work on my athletes to help kind of develop that RPE so that they, they can actually know what that feeling feels like. And, and it's going to, the, the hard thing, right. With speed work is it's going to change throughout the session. Like you're talking about that heart rate changing and it's going to change. Like the first 20 seconds of a 90 second rep is going to feel a lot different, but if you, if you can kind of develop that feel for what, you know, the first 20 seconds should feel like and how it should change over time. And then you can kind of take that and, and say, yeah, I, it felt hard enough, even though I, um, I was a little slower that day, or I ran a little quicker, but that feeling was the same. And then you can kind of look back and say, yeah, your heart rate was, was about the same as when we did a similar workout three weeks ago, but the pace was a little quicker. So, you know, you, you kind of nailed that RPE and, and yeah, so I try and develop that, that RPE kind of across the board, but I do think it, you know, you need to give for most athletes, myself included, you need to give them like a, a pace range to work with first. And, and then you can kind of develop that. And, and I agree with heart rate and I don't, I don't use run power very often. Um, but I, I think that, you know, pace is, is the best way to go there. And then hopefully you can kind of develop that RPE. And then if you are in a situation like, you know, let's say like you, the only train you have is like kind of hilly around you, but you've kind of developed that RPE, then you can say, Hey, like, I'm going to try and do this at about that same feel even though I, I don't have what, I, what would be ideal for the circumstance. Um, 
It is amazing. Like I used to do uh, when I was running a lot, I would try and hit, you know, for, for me, let's say I was going to do 10 400s and I had the goal of hitting 90 seconds for all of them. Those first three 400s and the first 200, you know, I, I would hit you know, 45 seconds and think that feels really easy, you know, just I would be like, oh, wow, that feels super easy. But man, by like rep four or five and the back half of those 400s, I'd be like, <laughs> you know, so it's a, it's amazing if you have something that is very measured, you have like your exact goal in mind that, you know, is that pace and it's very measured that helps develop that perceived exertion. You know, if people don't have that, they always, I think most people's tendencies is to go out too hard because they're like, oh, especially long course athletes, it's short, I'm trying to run fast. And so they blast out of the gates and then you just see, I mean, you see it all the time, just in their data, it's like, you know, their pace just goes flailing down in the back half of the workout and the and the back half of every single rep because they feel the need to just take off like Sonic the Hedgehog right out of the gates. And it's like, actually it's it's fast, but it's pretty controlled. And the more measured you can have your terrain be for that, then the more you develop that feel for it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I also think that like, I was fortunate enough when I was in Tucson to have a good group of guys that were pretty good at pacing. Um, thanks, Lucas, Max, Jeff, Kurt. You guys, because I, I would kind of do that. I, I'd be the uh, the full send in the first one. And I just learned to be like, hey, guys, I can't do the first three. I'm just going to sit back here. You guys set the pace. I'll feel it out. After that, I've kind of reestablished that feel. And then I can take over and lead a few. Um, but it, you know, it can be nice if, if you're having trouble with that. You know, like you, There's a lot of GPS devices that can help you with that as well. But if you're fortunate enough to have a group that you can kind of like work in with and, and help, that you can help learn from the people around you that maybe have a higher sense of that than, than you do. How accurate do you find that the, the watches are with the GPS? Cause sometimes I feel like that actually there's, they can be, they can be sort of unreliable enough that it's not as good as going saying like, whether you go out and measure it on a piece of road and like mark it with some tape or chalk or something like that or use a track. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I use my Garmin. I use my Garmin. I use my Garmin. And I'm like, well, sometimes I, I really feel like they're not always completely reliable. I think, I think, no, I, um, I think to your point is that I, my, uh, my Garmin's a little older and, and it does this funny thing where I'll start to rep and it'd be like nine minute pace. And then 20 seconds in, it'll catch up and it'd be like 450 pace. And like by the end, it'll figure out what I did, but you're right. I think that if you're using that for like the middle, it can get, be really tricky. You know, if, and I, I will on the track, I'd say throw it out because it's going to be off. Cause it's just too small of a thing, but on a, on a straight line too, I think you have to be careful because it does take some catch up time um, from when you start to when you go. And, and so if you're just kind of staring at that, I think that you're going to get some false information in the middle of that, say, call it a 90 second rep, you know, it, it might be pretty close to accurate by the end, but I think you're right. You do need to be careful. And, and, and so I, I think in that sense, having a measured piece of road or like a track where it's broken down, you know, every hundred or even every 50 kind of where you're at, if you need to touch base, it can be a lot better for kind of like staying like a metronome, um, on that speed work. So you're not playing the classic, like 20 seconds all out, uh, a minute, 10 seconds flailing. Yeah. And that's it. It's, you know, maybe that's just the most important thing that people can take away from using the, you know, executing and, and the perceived exertion. And, and that is that if you are using a Garmin to, you start what feels fast, but controlled. And then once you're 45 seconds into the rep, then check your watch. So you're not like obsessively checking your watch from the start and thinking, oh my God, I'm going too slow. It's like dial into that perceived exertion, feel like you're going fast, but you're holding back a little bit controlled. And then once you're 45 seconds in, go ahead and take a peek at your watch and see where it's at. So that, you know, if you're going to be real detailed on how someone might execute that, that could be, that would be my advice right off, right off the bat. Um, that was good. <laughs> Let's let's bump the pace down a little bit, and I'm going to call it threshold uh, threshold work. And I, I want to hear your thoughts on it, how much you use that, and if you call it something different, or how you describe it to your athletes. 
Yeah, threshold work. Absolutely. I mean, threshold work is I, whether it's threshold or it's zone four or it's 10K pace, those all are the exact same thing, right? It's that point when if you take take a marker where the lactate starts to go up and, you know, it's hitting that, you know, yeah, yeah. So thresh, those all mean the same things. Those would be the terms I most commonly use would be either threshold, 10K pace, um, you know, that kind of, or zone four in the zones that I use in, in training peak. So that, that would be what my athletes are familiar with. And I do think that for racing faster triathlons, whether it be Olympic distance or it be um, sprint distance or even half Ironman, that's a pretty important range to be working in your race preparation as you head towards your, your main event. I think, you know, for an athlete that's ready to absorb that and can physically handle it as, you know, structurally handle it, they're, you know, they're not going to get injured from it. Um, they're ready as far as in their development to handle that kind of work. So biomechanically, they're sound enough to handle it. I feel that is an more so than the speed work we're talking about. That is something that I feel like is really specific to what our, what we need to go faster in sprint Olympic and 70.3 racing. I think that is really important actually. How about you? Um, yeah, I totally agree. I, I would say that like, if, if we're talking about to use whatever generic terms, like the build phase, I think you can make the, the most advances in your overall, like run speed, run progression by doing like threshold work on the run. And I do think you have to be careful. It, it's like, you know, you, you can overdose it pretty easily, but I think that that's going to be the most bang for your buck as far as like how fast you're going to run, say later in the year is by doing, you know, a fair amount or a fair amount of absorbable threshold work when you can. And then like, you need to switch over at some point to maybe something a little more race specific, but if you're in that phase where you're still a little bit further out from your race, and if you're racing the Olympic, it might be race specific, but, but let's say you're racing a 70.3 or even an Ironman later in the year, you know, I think you can get you know, kind of like doing threshold work on the bike. Like it's not totally specific to 70.3 or Ironman, but you're going to get that fitness boost that when you transition over to something that's a little more race specific, your, your numbers are a little bit higher and, you know, you're a little bit more efficient on the run. So I think it is, it is a really good place to work. And, um, and yeah, I kind of do the same thing where I refer to it as I, I refer to it as 10 K 10 K effort a lot. And, and, you know, most athletes heckle me until I give them a pace, but I, I try and I try and give them an effort first. And then we kind of work backwards and say, okay, well, what, what kind of pace is going to be appropriate for you, um, for that, for that. The effort. reps are so much longer that that's where then like heart rate does come into a play. Like once they're, they hit over, you know, say we get to about that two, three minute mark and heart rate has responded. Now heart rate is actually pretty strong pretty relevant in the threshold work because the reps are longer, right? Say it's four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, up to 10 minutes long. And you're doing repeats of that, the work, the work, and then it's half the rest, right? So say you're doing an eight minute rep and you've got four minutes rest, the heart rate is, you are watching, okay, it responds up into that threshold range. And you're watching the correlation between heart rate and pace, and then wanting to see that heart rate drop right down and the recovery in between. And we're hopefully seeing over time at that same heart rate pace getting faster and faster. And you might be prescribing, you know, that once a week, for four, three weeks in a row or four weeks in a row, and then take it away. And, um, you know, that's, you might, you might have, you know, start out with 20 minutes worth of work of that, and then work your way all the way up to, let's say 45 minutes worth of that kind of work for an athlete and say, okay, you know, we've got a quite a bit of cumulative threshold work within a run, and then we'll, we'll move to the next phase and see a response there. And hopefully the pace is getting faster in that same heart rate zone you're not seeing, okay, well, we're sitting at 170 heart rate and this is, you know, this is the pace is getting slower and slower. Hopefully you start to see that it stays at that, whatever their range is, 160, 170 heart rates, a real common threshold range for a lot of people. And that you're seeing that that pace is like, say it started out at seven minute pace and then it's 650 and 645. And by the end of the three weeks of doing it once a week, it's down to 630 pace. And we've got six, you know, we've got 45 minutes worth of broken work at 630 pace at a heart rate of once right in the middle of that range at 165. Okay, we're, we're, we're boogieing along pretty good. 
were ready to do a pretty good 10K for that person. Is that sort of like a progression and and um, way that you look at things? Um, yeah, that was pretty well said. And I I do think that now I, I definitely, I think I would even, I could even go like every other week with an athlete for that threshold work. I definitely want to, for a younger athlete or, you know, someone else, I, I might say, hey, yeah, let's do this. But but I think I've, I've gotten a little more sparing and, and I might even, yeah, like, and then I might, uh, then I would obviously like stretch that block out a bit longer, but, um, but yeah, even to, to skip weeks on that, you know, based on everything else that's going on, but, but yeah, I do think that that's a good way to say, Hey, like, let's work on this for four weeks and just like, um, yeah, bump that run threshold up a bit. That's, I'm going to tell a quick, funny marathon story, not to derail us, but I, <laughs> love I funny stories, funny stories is good. <laughs> you know, of course I have a bib on and it's on a singlet and I haven't done that in who knows how long. And I get running along and I'm like, all right, I feel pretty good. Let's, let's check in with the stats here. I looked down at my watch and it's like, Oh, 172. And I'm like for my heart rate. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking like this, I, I feel like I could talk right now. This doesn't feel like, and, and I was like, I kept thinking like, am I going too fast? Am I going to blow up? And like five minutes later, I was like, okay, this is not right. I know what's at 172 feels like. And I, I grabbed my bib and pushed it against my heart rate monitor. And turns out it's been like flapping against my heart rate monitor the whole time. So <laughs> my, my heart rate monitor data for that race is like totally thrown out the window. And I, um, <laughs> didn't, did, didn't matter at all, but it was, it was really funny. Cause you know, you just glance at your watch like somewhat regularly and it's like, Oh, I'm in the one seventies still. And I'm chatting <laughs> with a guy next to me right now. So that's, uh, that's a situation I've never been in. But, yeah, uh, technology's great till it's not, right? It's like also, yeah. yeah, it can be affected by all the other people around you or power lines or whatever. So it is good that you have that experience because some people might panic and change. Like that's the thing about, you know, data is great and it's good to have that. But, you know, you also have to be tuned into just, I wrote an article on athletic intelligence, right? Like tuned in on what's going on and what makes sense in that moment. Cause it's, you know, if you're, someone might panic when they see that for an extended period of time and change entirely what they're doing. And you knew enough to go, something's not right here. Like if something seems like it's not right compared to what you always do, it's probably not, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, there's nothing worse than bad data, right? I, no data is fine, but bad yeah. data is, is the worst thing ever. And that yeah. was a, a real situation of bad data, uh, <laughs> but it was fine. Yeah. But it does make the, I, I got all sorts of PRs though. It's like, oh, I just held like threshold heart rate for two and a half hours. <laughs> That's a new one. If you can do that, it's not, it, let's just tell people like, oh, I, yeah, like that exact sense. It's like, that's probably not your threshold then. If you can hold it for an hour. <laughs> and then the wheel should fall off technically, <laughs> you know, like an hour yeah. at the threshold is long, but, um, <laughs> but possible, but, but, you know, it is possible. That is definitely, um, the range that I think after an hour, it's, it's probably going to come flying off a cliff or that's not your threshold. <laughs> yeah. But, and I will say with that, I'd say for most people, like, especially running an hour at threshold is not possible, right? Most people aren't, um, economically like uh fit enough to maintain threshold for an hour like sure some people can but i'd say for most triathletes that is not where we're at and i think that's why that 10k range like you know if you're if you're under an hour for a 10k then you're probably like sitting pretty close to threshold for that and you probably can't um you know if you're gonna run uh an 8k it's probably not gonna be a ton faster right because you're you're right at that kind of like where you just can't push much harder until you go over that line. And then you're probably going to like, you can't do that for very long. Right. Yeah. And actually, even to your point, there is the less experienced athletes, I'll I'll use 5k for their threshold because it's just, you know, it's uh, maybe that's the time duration that they can actually sit at threshold. It's like 30 minutes for them. You know, 30 minutes at threshold is a really long time for a new athlete. And whereas a very experienced athlete who is an, maybe very elite, they're maybe they're able to run a half marathon in that threshold range. But let's say they're running like 65 or, you know, somewhere in that range for a half. So whereas that other person, we use 5k because maybe they're running right around an hour for 10k. So very different athletes. So you, you know, it's important to, to note that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That is, that is the, the tricky thing with those distances. It's really based more on time and less on distance, but it's easier to kind of 
um, rapid in a distance. Um, so I want to get to tempo, but before we do one other question I had was about recovery runs. I want to make sure we get in here. So, so, uh, what are your thoughts on recovery runs and do you find most athletes run them too fast or too easy, or do you not believe in recovery runs? Now for some athletes, I definitely believe in recovery runs. Um, some, I, I, I don't think that they, that any running at all is actually recovery. Like, you know, some, it'll be more of a building durability through frequency and that's the, the goal of it. But true recovery, if you're real, if you have been running a long time, you have really good economy, um, the run is short and very easy, then it can be a, a recovery run. For most triathletes, I think that any running is hard, right? It's time on their legs that is actually pretty hard for them. And most triathletes, because in nature, we carry a little bit more size from the cycling and swimming, that that has an impact. And so it's tough for it to truly be recovery. But I will give that to a lot of athletes and label it recovery so that they run slowly enough And my goal as the coach is just building up frequency and volume for durability and overall in their run volume. And so it's a little bit of a coach's trick there that I'll say recovery so that they go easy enough on that run. And I would like them to, they, most people do them too fast and go, you know, just, just go jog. And we're trying to build up total minutes of time on their legs, but for it to be truly recovery, probably just most elite runners who are pure runners can actually have a recovery jog. How about you? Yeah, I, I don't call them recovery runs anymore. I just have aerobic runs and I tell them to keep it easy. And like, again, if I have to look at the pace range, but I'll say like, this has to be super easy. Um, and, but I, I agree that I don't think that a run for a triathlete can actually be recovery. Like that's, you know, some athletes can, well, most athletes can have a recovery ride. A lot of athletes can have a recovery swim, but I think that the the run is just, there's too much pounding. And I think that for most triathletes to, to be running, they're going to probably be in the bottom of zone two, right? They're, you know, they're, it's, it's going to be hard to be efficient enough to be in zone one running. And I, I'm not, I'm, you know, broad stroking here. Definitely not everyone. Some people can totally do that, but, but I'd say that for most athletes, if you're going to be, you know, two feet off the ground at one point in time, then you're probably going to be in zone two in order to make that happen. Um, so, so yeah, but same idea though. I, um, I just, I harp on the easy in a different way <laughs> to make sure that they keep it easy because I, I do think, and I don't think there is a, a real floor for that. I think the floor for that comes when people kind of, it can be hard to run slow. It's, you know, it's, it's a little easier for you and I, cause we're pretty close to the ground, but if you have long legs, it can be, <laughs> it can be tricky. <laughs> uh, it can be tricky to actually like maintain run form and run slow. And so that, that's one of the things I, I try and work on with athletes. I think turnover work can help with that because I do think it is a skill that can be improved on is being able to actually run mechanically well and do it slowly. And I have to give myself a pat on the back here. I think this is one of my skills. I can like jog at like, like 10 minute pace and, and keep it pretty. And, and I know that other people get really, if I try and do that with them, they get pretty angry and they're like, they don't want to run with me. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, so I don't go ahead. No. Yeah. I, I, I agree that you should be able to hold good form in at all, you know, at all paces and all efforts, you know, you shouldn't be just in good form when you're running fast. Right. I mean, absolutely. You need to, you need to be able to hold that. In fact, practicing it when you're going easy is, is a good time to practice it. Um, and, and yeah, I do think that most people probably do their easy runs too fast because yeah, I don't think that it's hard to do it too easy. So too fast is going to be the problem. Yeah. And even asking people to just go for a walk. Yeah. I, Elliot's not here, but I know he's a big fan of the uphill walking or, yeah. uh, you know, power hiking, things like that, I think is a good, like a good way to get time on feet uh, and can help build that durability for, 
uh, for, for running. Yeah. Um, all right. Last one. And then I'll let you go is, is my, my favorite word, the ambiguous tempo. Uh, yeah, you hate that word. <laughs> it can mean so many things. Yeah. So do you, uh, do you give tempo work? If so, how, when, how much? Yeah, I do. I think it's really specific to triathlon. So I do, I do give a lot of tempo work. I think it's really tempo, whatever you want to call it, zone three, tempo, medium, right? There's all these words, but they all mean the same thing. But you're, I do think doing a, a, a large cumulative amount of tempo work is, is important for triathlon. I think that's where, you know, we have the most to gain that is specific for, especially let's say 70.3 and Ironman up. So less so, you know, when you're racing sprint distance, Olympic distance, there might be a lot more threshold focus and for the advanced athletes getting into that speed work, but for 70.3 athletes and Ironman athletes, I think they're, you know, you can do a lot of that kind of cumulative work and it's really specific for those races and it'll make you a lot faster and the recovery isn't as much and there's not as much risk as when we do like the threshold and the VO2 speed work and that kind of stuff. So, so I do actually, and, and mostly because a lot of athletes are time limited, right? And so if you're looking for most bang for your buck, the, the specific strength work within their program and a sport specific strength work. So, you know, uphill running, that kind of stuff and, and just extended, you know, let's say we've got a session, we've got an hour run and we might do two by 25 minutes in zone three with a five minute recovery between and that you're going to get a lot of work and see all their fitness shifting up without it completely crushing them. So they can back it up the next day and back it up the next day and back it up the next day. And so if someone only has, you know, 10, 12 hours, 13 hours a week to train, you're not going to just have them go easy and aerobic all the time. We're not going to get fit enough for a race. Right. And maybe doing you're getting the threshold work or the speed work, it's got to be sprinkled in smartly as far as recovery and injury. So where are we going to see the fitness shift and be most specific to the events that we're training for? I think that that's sort of like a golden range to spend a lot of time in for most athletes. Now, if you've got 20, 25 hours a week to train for a half Ironman, you know, then, then maybe we don't need to do it depends on your goals, I, I guess. I, I still think I still think that there's there's a lot that a lot to be gained by working in that range quite a lot in your program. How about you? Um, so when you were talking, I was disagreeing a little bit with you, but I think some of it might be semantics. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one thing that I try and do a lot of, especially um, building, is a lot of like hill runs and or runs that incorporate a lot of hills, not not like the straight up hill we were kind of talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think that ends up being the same thing where like every time you're going up a hill, you're going to be in zone three. You're going to be in that that tempo range. And so it's kind of incorporated in a, maybe a little bit less structured fashion. And I I also see a lot of benefit for I see a lot of athletes that again, if they're if they're running like and I tell them to run steady it's going to be top of zone two. It's probably going to end up being bottom of zone three. So I, I would say I, I don't as often prescribe intervals in that range, but I have a lot of runs where athletes end up accumulating a fair amount of time in that, in that like top of zone two, bottom of zone three range over time. And I'd say though, I, I do more of the specific tempo stuff. It ends up being, no, no, for, for a lot of athletes that ends up being like a, a race pace, right? It, it could be like around their 70.3 race pace, or it could be their Ironman race pace, depending on if they're like uh, kind of where they're at in their, um, and the athletic, um, progression. Mm-hmm. But so I think that I use it a little bit more in race preparation and stay away from specifically assigning it in, in, as they're kind of gaining fitness, but I do think they do end up in there more than I actually like, um, prescribed like as like specific intervals. Yeah. yeah. If that That's makes funny. sense. I, I, oh, totally. I feel like I danced around a little bit there. But. Yeah, no, totally. And that is like, if you're doing, let's say you're doing, you know, 
six minutes uphill or five minutes uphill at a pretty, you know, and build a steady effort as you go up the hill. That is going to be what is in, you know, parentheses tempo, right? I mean, it's strength specific then, but it is in, if you look at heart rate and you look at, let's say they're even using power, it's going to end up right in that range. And, and I definitely, you know, I do give that as that's like one of would be a session that I would consider a tempo session, whether it's on the flat or it's uphill, but, you know, those are obviously a little bit different, but um, one is strength, sport specific strength, and one is more just, you know, working within that range, but, or a progression run where someone goes out easy or a negative split run, right. Where they go out easy. And then the pace increases as they go, they end up, let's say the last 20 minutes of that run right around, you know, we, we use a lot of different words, 70.3 effort, uh, you know, bottom of in that zone three or top of zone two and, or tempo, like they all kind of mean the same thing, but yeah. So, so yeah, I think, I think people spend a lot more time there than they think they do for sure. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite terms is aggressive Ironman effort, which is, oh, that's awesome. like, <laughs> aggressive <Ironman>. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's like, well, that turns out to be pretty close to 70.3 effort, which is, you're right. It's all just, you know, different ways of, of kind of, you know, raising the same thing. Which what is why I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on tempo, but actually, you know what I will make a real point on with tempo is that most people do it too hard. So most people see their range and they try and hit the top of it every single time because that's the way we are wired as athletes. And I think that there's a lot of value in just being comfortable sitting at the, like we say, the bottom end of that range and just relaxing into it and spend a lot of cumulative time over many weeks or many, you know, uh, sessions and, and, you know, sit there without feeling like you need to push to the top end range. I think the athletes that are constantly pushing to the top end range with that work, whether it be on the run or the bike are the ones that get pretty tired from it. And they feel like, man, this is just too much. It's because they're always pushing too hard in that range. It's like, you can actually just settle down and relax into this and get a lot of cumulative work here. And we don't need to always be pushing that top end. So just like aerobic work or recovery runs, I think, you know, there's a, there's a time and place to go hard VO2 stuff. You got to go hard with threshold stuff. It's going to get hard. It's going to feel hard. You're going to have to really mentally dig in at some point with when we use the word tempo or zone three or whatever it is, it's, it's a lot more like the aerobic work. It should be, it, it, it doesn't need to be pressing on the top end of your ceiling every single time. You know, it can be just relaxed, relaxed, cumulative work over and over again. And, um, I think that's, you know, the, the ticket with that stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think that that, especially like the, the muscular recovery from tempo versus if you're at the top of tempo, then, you know, you're basically at threshold, right? Bottom of threshold. And, and so you're, you're just accruing a much higher load. And, and like you said, like that's, you know, it's kind of a much higher metal, metabolic cost and the, like the muscular fatigue, you know, from running that 15 seconds a mile faster is, is a lot of impact. And, you know, it's, it's exponential, right? So the faster you're going, the higher that impact is going to be and the harder it's going to be to recover from. And, and then you're just kind of like, you're spiraling down and you're not getting any extra benefit, right? For that, that extra few seconds a mile faster, it's not going to make you any faster on race day, but it is going to make you more tired and beat you up more and then make that next session even harder. So I would definitely agree that like, you know, there's, there's a, a range for that tempo and it's, if you're going to do it, you've got to kind of be at that lower end of it in, in order to be able to repeat it, because that's the beauty of it, right? Is that you can do a fair amount of it and be fine. Cause if all of a sudden you can't repeat it, then you're not getting that gain that you're not able to, to get the gains from it because you're no longer able to do the, the total load, which you need in order to respond from. Yeah. And I think it's important for some people to know it. If you're very aerobically fit that your heart rate, you're not trying to press necessarily that with that work, sometimes the heart rate will actually be quite aerobic, but the pace is in the range. So as coaches, if you're watching, if you're assigning that and you're uh, um, watching your athletes data, you really need to pay specific attention if they are 
thinking like, I'll say to some athletes, like, look, your heart rate might stay actually in zone two or fairly aerobic in this work. Don't worry about that. We're not going to push that up or force the heart rate, just settle into that pace because obviously what we're seeing is like pace is getting quicker and quicker and heart rate might stay the same. Well, that's good. That's an indicator that we are getting fitter and we're, we are improving, but you don't necessarily need to keep driving that heart rate on those workouts. You can just settle into that pace and do a lot of cumulative work there and gain a lot of strength from it. Yeah. I, um, I still have a touchy hamstring from that exact thing. It was a cool morning in Tucson and I was like, well, my heart rate is pretty low. And I'm just going to run 20 seconds a mile faster than I usually do for tempo. Cause I my you know, my heart rate's nice and low and like, yeah, now my hamstring is still a little bit tight. So, um, so yeah, Especially if you have really good runners, if you're very aerobically fit and, and, you know, have a lot of miles under you, that's really common. So you have to be, if you are a coach assigning that you have to be really careful with that, that you, you ask your athletes to download data with that and, and watch it and watch likes and, and encourage them to feel comfortable with, Hey, if the heart rate's low, it's okay. Like that's actually a good thing. If your heart rate's sitting right around, you know, 140, but your pace is in that range and your perceived exertion is that range, just settle, settle right in there. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, well, this has turned out to be another long one. I don't know if you're keeping an eye on the time, but it turns <laughs> out we had a lot to say about that. Um, so I, I do want to wrap it up fairly soon here. Yeah, I've got I got a swim date here. I got to go to Lauren. Lauren Palmer is going to be like, where's my swim partner? Uh-oh. My panic training. She's uh, that's my swim training is just show up and swim with Lauren. I think we've got she texts me. She goes, she goes, I think we have 5K on tap today. I'm like, Jesus. I don't know if I'll last the whole 5k, but I'll be there. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll let you um, have a little snack so you can get to it and, uh, and have a good swim, but, but thanks for the time. Yeah. Thanks Jesse. Awesome chat. All right. See you next week.